Welcome to Marking Minute by Presco. From engineered film to safety markers, take a minute to explore the products that impact us every day. Welcome to the Marking Minute by Presco. I'm your host, Sean Heath. Now, I'm not going to lie, and I'm not going to present myself as an expert when it comes to chemical engineering, but... I do know a guy who's an expert when it comes to chemical engineering, and that's my guest on the podcast today, Stephen Janik. He is a chemical engineer and formulator for Presco Polymer. Stephen, how are you today? Doing great. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, so Stephen, how do you begin the process of formulating a specific solution? What are some of the factors that you have to take into your calculus when you're deciding how you're going to formulate a specific solution for a customer? Some things that we take into account would be the weatherability of a product and understanding how long it's going to have in the field and what we have to do as far as chemically in order to make sure that the integrity of our films stand up to weathering in certain conditions. Color is always important um, from a marketing standpoint. That can be a make or break for a customer that it's the exact Pantone color that they, uh, that they work with and we have a huge library of pigments that we can incorporate into our polymers in the right amounts and that's an art in and of itself in order to create the exact right color for customers that's a huge asset that we have and the control that we have during our process to maintain that is something that makes us pretty special Uh, sometimes fluorescents are things that customers want where it's actually emitting higher wavelength higher than 100 percent reflectance of a certain wavelength of light Sorry if that's getting really nerdy on you, but I can go on and on. There's a a variety of factors as far as uh, tensile properties, your flame properties of a plastic can come into account, your antimicrobial properties. It's it's all pretty much customer-driven. Now, you didn't get too nerdy. I like that there's another side to this equation, and that is, you. and you mentioned it, there is an art to this. This is Absolutely. not just straight science. This is science as art because you do have the the physical properties of the compound that you're using, but you also have the aesthetic side of that. That's got to be an interesting balance that you have to attempt to achieve on a daily basis. Absolutely, and it's a enjoyable, believe it or not, even coming from an engineer. I like that aspect of it too because that's where you get to see different excitement in different people so there are certain things where if we go to if we get a uh, if we can give our sales team a product that they can go and show to their customers and their customer gets extremely excited about it the fact that that wasn't something that they even knew that we could do or that we had the capability to get that specific with certain um, certain aspects of our formulation that can be one from my side I like that because I enjoy other people getting excited about what we do. Um, but from a sales side, it's probably been, I can only imagine it's beneficial because it, it allows our team to offer one extra little thing to customers that maybe somebody else doesn't offer. They only have certain product lines and you can go through our magazine and say, I want, you only have the things that you say on the magazine to offer. Well, we're, that's not the case here. We have what, 20,000 custom formulations, of which I think three or 4,000 of them are active right now. That just shows that we're always iterating and making new revisions to our formulations to improve them, to make them better in the future, to course correct or make improvements based off of customer interaction. 
I would imagine that it's pretty satisfying when you complete a project and you look back over all of the the steps you had to take and you see the finished product and there is an artistic element to it. Is that satisfaction um, increased or lessened based on the number of external factors you had to deal with? For example, let's say uh, Prop 65. Mm-hmm. That is a, a, a an actual factor that can change the way that you proceed when you're going through one of these formulations. Talk to me a little bit about how external factors enter into the overall arithmetic. Well, like you mentioned, Prop 65, it, it kind of has to do with how you operate on a business level and then on a personal level too, because it's how are you coming across these things that are not relevant in our industry, such as regulations, Prop 65 and REACH are two big ones. And it's something that does affect us. And we can take that with a grain of salt and understand this is the way that the industry is going. And this is something that we need to provide in order to keep customers happy and keep their customers happy. And it's a chain going all the way down to the consumer. And from my standpoint, I enjoy it. I see it as an opportunity to improve. And that allows us to offer one more little thing for a customer. So we can formulate to Prop 65. It's just one more thing that you got to look at, one more external factor. I don't see those as negatives. I see them as, I know we can do it here, and we have done it. And it's just one more thing to show that Presco can make it happen. As an engineer, you're always looking for the simplest answer. Yeah, you're trying to be efficient. Uh, But there are some factors that you just can't remove from the process because some of your solutions are so complex i'm curious how do you manage the time element during some of these projects because there are some things you just can't physically do faster than you can do them so how do you manage that time element um can you dig a little bit deeper into what you mean by time element how much time we're investing in projects or well no not in in necessarily the research but in the development side because you do have to i would imagine you're able to minimize the amount of versions of a final product you kind of know what you're doing you you aren't basically having to go through 27 iterations before you get to the final finished product yeah, with experience you learn, speaking of efficiency, you become more efficient in realizing where a project is going to go based off of where it starts and what you see from the beginning. So you can cut down on those iterations, but there are some projects that take a while and that's something that you have to be willing to invest the time in order to solve a problem. And a lot of that time investment has already been done historically, as you mentioned in the library that you have already amassed of your previous successful products. You're able to I would imagine go back and reference successes and avoid future errors. Because you have been able to experience success in the past, you're able to streamline the demands of whatever project that you're working on. Speaking of speaking of projects, is there a is there a commonality between different customer solutions? Do you find that some things really work well? almost regardless of what a customer's needs are? Are there common threads that go through different projects? Absolutely and absolutely not. The answer is both. There's commonalities, but at the same time, every every problem is, is uh, unique. 
therefore every solution has to be unique. And while there can be commonalities, that's why we custom compound here is that we want to identify, and like we were talking about earlier, efficiency and cutting out things that aren't important to a customer. While uh, we might have a solution that could very well work for this person, I could save a couple cents a pound by maybe seeing how much of an unimportant antimicrobial for this specific application. It's not, it's not necessary. This is over engineered for a certain application. And, and on the opposite side of that, there could be something that is under engineered and I could see potential in adding to this formulation in order to now meet the requirements of a new project. So no, they aren't, there aren't projects that are really the same, but there are unique common threads between different projects. Is there a specific project without getting too specific is there a particular project that really leveraged the range of the skills that you have at presco for me personally sure absolutely uh i don't know how much i can get into the details of it just because of proprietary information but there have been projects that are you're still ongoing that push the boundaries of uh, i'm trying to think of a way that's not going to get me in trouble here there was a project that allowed me to create we were talking about the art side of it a little bit earlier it was a project that had a plethora of colors that needed to be color matched with different base formulations for indoor and outdoor applications for a certain industry. That's about as far as I think I could dive into this, but there was a lot of different colors for a lot of different the end users. Now, you did mention earlier um, some of the other capabilities of the product, uh, QUV resistance or antimicrobial specifications. I'm really curious about that. Let's say hypothetically it's a, um, a marking product. W- what environment exactly would I need it to be microbial, antimicrobial? I, that just, that, it, because when I think marking tape, I think uh, I don't know, crime scene, construction site. And I don't know that I'm really worried about being antimicrobial. I can't even say that word. Antimicrobial on, you know, on a giant construction site. So that has to do with what construction site is, where it is. When you get into very hot and humid environments, having bacterial growth on a film can accelerate the process of degradation in it. So it can accelerate the end life of a certain product. So adding those antimicrobials into a environment where it's very wet and very humid, very hot, that can help. For a marketing product side, it would be a little bit more unique, but when we formulate things for say food contact or the medical industry, that's really where that additive, that additional component to our PVC has its place. My problem was I was thinking about me not catching a cold and ultimately me not catching a cold is not really part of the math that you were doing when you developed that particular product. So that it's Mm -hmm. because I was making it all about me. That's why I didn't understand. But now it makes total sense. Uh, It's a it's almost a self-defense mechanism. Now, and you mentioned the degradation of these products. I'm curious because it is plastic and EVA and TPU and these polymers, let's say that I ordered, I don't know, a, th- a ton of a particular film uh, for a project, a construction project that I was working on. For whatever reason, I had a, a, a bit left over. Is there a situation in which that could be recycled or repurposed? It depends on the situation. So the answer is absolutely if it's in the right form. So it would be hard, say, for like a stake flag, something that's on a flag, the labor-intensive 
nature of that to remove it and isolate the plastic itself. But if you have a, a pure form, say you buy giant rolls from our engineered films division for a certain application, that's easily, we can take that, we can regrind it, and then we can apply it into a new product or a, a formulation that that wouldn't be critical to. There are certain applications that we can create products using recycled material. There's certain that we can't, and that's something that it allows us to like lessen our footprint a little bit and take, like you say, if you were to have use three quarters of it, and we have five rolls of, of ma these giant materials, we can take that, regrind it, and reuse it into a different product. I do have one final question for you today, and generally. In my experience, I find that conventions are not necessarily the favored uh, meeting format for engineers of most types. You have a little bit of experience with conventions. What has been your opinion of the chaos that exists at a convention? As someone whose mind is naturally ordered and you like to have things organized, what do you see in the chaos at conventions I love it. Uh, conventions from my side of this, granted these are technical conventions, most of the ones that I go to, they're an opportunity for me to see where the industry is moving and get new ideas about innovations that we can apply to our own product lines, to future product lines. For me, it's an opportunity, not so much a burden. I don't know if you were saying that it's a burden, but I think it's great. You just have to be willing to dive in, don't be afraid and ask questions, even if it might mean that you're sticking your neck out there a little bit, because the topics that are discussed at a lot of these conventions are very cutting-edge technologies that people are incorporating, new things that are going into the industry. So it's okay to not know. That's why you're there, is to learn. And that's something that I feel like when you do dive in headfirst into these different technical conferences, really get your feet wet, it allows you to learn a whole lot of new things that we can take back here and make Presco a better place and help our customers and, and really make a difference. I do appreciate you taking an opportunity to talk to me today. You know, it's always interesting to get the perspectives of someone who manages the mechanical, the research, the development, the, the very technical aspect of something that most of us will see some form of, if we just pay attention as we're driving around today, wherever we are in the country, we'll see something that there's a very good chance Presco had a hand in. And so thanks for taking the time today to talk to me, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Today Today, my guest on the podcast has been Stephen Janik, a chemical engineer formulator for Presco Polymers. Thanks again, Stephen. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Sean.